Wow. Wow. Would you please stand with me if you're able? Stand with me if you're able right now, please. Wow. That was awesome. I don't even know if I need to say anything. Y'all ready to go? (laughs) Oh, man. All right. I was told three things. I was told not to mess with James. Don't talk about Wendell's preaching and no Gamecock cheers. So as tough as it is for me not to divide this middle and this side be game and this side be Cox, I'm going to avoid that temptation as we get started. Um, Will you hold hands with your neighbor? Um, I'm going to pray and uh, God's about to show out. So let's go ahead and get started if we could. Heavenly Father, we came this morning to worship you. With weeks filled with temptation, passes and failures, And God, we need you in order to worship you. You see, our hearts will harden with sin's deceitfulness. And then you came and woke us up when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And you said, come, leave your fishing nets and follow me. God, we have some people in here today that are ready to leave their nets. And God, my prayer today is not that we might weigh the cost That we might not see what we're leaving. That we might not see the backyards that we own. But God, but we might see the man named Jesus, named Nazareth from Nazareth, that lived 2,000 and some change ago, who we're following. So God, please be with me now. I'm just a sinner. But I've got your word. And it's a dangerous sword. So let's show up, God. And I just appreciate you for saving me. And I love you. And we pray in the only name worth praying. And that's Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, as I thought about what to talk about today, and I prayed through it with my family and friends and and different people, I really came to the subject of revival. Now, there's a couple of things I want to start off with before we even get into the Scripture with revival. Okay? Now, I have a couple quotes that I really like about revival. First of all, revival is, uh, one of my favorite quotes is that we've been holding revivals long enough, now it's time to let one go. We've been holding revival long enough, now it's time to let one go. My second favorite quote is, revival is the finger of God pointing right at you. The finger of God pointing right at you. And I want to go ahead and get started by saying, guys, revival is not something that is on the bulletin board. Revival is not something we're going to schedule. Revival is not something we're going to put right after our Sunday spaghetti dinner. Revival is not something that we can organize. Revival is up to God. But if His people will humble themselves and pray and understand where they need to be and understand who they are in Christ and get excited about what it means to be a Christian following this man named Jesus who gave His life for us, we might have a chance in this world. So what I want to do today is I want to ask us three questions that I think will really lead us to revival. Now I'm ADD, HQ squared, twice removed. All right, you can laugh. All right. So, so I, I may go all over the place. I'm a little different than Wendell, but I, I pray that you guys might follow this and follow the Lord as, as we go, get going. The first question I want to ask you, and I think it's in your outline, is, is where are we now? You know, anybody, raise your hand if you've ever used MapQuest in here right now. See there? There you go. Modern technology. Look at that. All right. So if you've used MapQuest, you know that if you're going to go anywhere, if you're going to travel anywhere, you first have to know where you are. 
You can't get anywhere in the city. If you were downtown Columbia and you asked a friend for directions, she could give you the best directions in the world. But if you didn't know where you were to start with, those directions were no good, right? So what I want to do start off is I want to use a scripture in Exodus chapter 32 that I think really summarizes where we are. Not necessarily with this church, but Christians all over the world. So let's dive into it. If you've got your Bibles, Exodus chapter 31, verse 1, and I'm going to start right here. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down, I'm going to start over because I need to emphasize that. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Now, this is a situation most of us are familiar with. We probably learned it in Sunday school about the golden calf. And these people go and they make a calf. And because Moses had been gone, their leadership kind of went awry. And next thing you know, things were kind of all over the place. But what I want to focus on today is how similar the situation in this passage is to where we are today. Now, I don't know if you guys, uh, I'm, a, I'm a young guy, so I, I don't know how well, the oldest guy in the church is. I know Dr. Eastup does a great job recognizing that. But the, this has been a long time since Jesus has been on this earth, right? Let's face it. This is not a character. This is not a a cartoon. This is not a make-believe story. This is the real deal that Jesus has been gone 2,000 and some change, right? Some change means extra years, just in case you didn't know that. Okay. All right. So Jesus has been gone 2,000 years, and some of us in this society today are looking and wondering, where the heck is this guy? This guy has a great cross story in Easter. We're wearing white seersucker and the bow ties and all. But where is this guy? I mean, he said he was going up on a mountain. He was coming back. I mean, the New Testament church, half of these books, they thought he was coming back next week. I mean, some of them probably, some of the good cooks in the crowd, they probably had Sunday dinner waiting for Jesus. They wanted him to come back right away, but it didn't happen. And the same is true in this story with Moses. See, he went up on the mountain to meet with God. And Jesus on the New Testament is many times referred to as the New Testament Moses. So we have a similar situation. And here's the second point. The second point is he says they admit that he brought them out of Egypt. Here, right here at the end of the verse, he says, This fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So, my friends, I'm not too far in stretching the truth to say that I believe we're right there right now. 2008, United States of America, we've been brought out, and some people even admit that Jesus brought us out of a place, that He was a real man, that He did really die, that He really was a a Savior to some. Some people even admit He really did rise from the grave. But when we stretch it to believe that He's really a Savior, people go, "Uh uh-oh. And so we're really right there right now where we've been without a leader on this earth where we don't understand and that people can convince themselves that they think, what's going on? I hadn't seen this man named Jesus. I can't believe him because I can't see him. What's going on? And so we're in this status. We're in this place where we've been without a so-called leader and we've acted like it. My friends, we've taken the Ten Commandments out of places. We've taken the, the, the moment of silence out of schools. We've taken prayer out of schools. We can't mention Jesus. It's now Christmas. I mean, it's now holidays instead of Christmas. My friend, we have sexual immorality running rampant all over our schools. We have second graders who talk about things in the back of my wife's classroom they should know nothing about. And so we sit 
And we talk about it being so long since this man named Jesus ran. And just like these Israelites, they turned their back because they couldn't see. And I'm here to tell you the reality of America is that we have done the same thing. Because Jesus isn't here, because we can't see Him, and because we don't understand this concept of what He's given us, we, we, we've turned our backs on Him. And our idols don't look like big calves. They look like guys with big calves. <laughs> our idols don't look like big golden statues. They look like pe- things that we build in, in Greg Park. Or they look like things that we build in, in big neighborhoods. They, they're different, but they're the same thing. It's the fact is that Jesus has been gone. So we've estimated or we've uh, tried, we've attempted to replace Him. That's where we are. And my friends, if we want to see revival, I know you do. I know you wouldn't be in this church unless you want to see revival break out, not only in Colombia, but in America. If we want to see it, we've got to recognize that. We can't pretend that we're in some okay-dokey society that, man, well, he really knows. He really knows Jesus. He's just not acting like it right now. He'll be okay. He's going to grow out of it. And he'll be, when he turns 14, he's going to walk the aisle and everything. We're going to baptize him. It's going to be pretty. It'll be all right. No, we can't act like that. You see, just as Moses went up to get the ten words, the ten commandments, you see, our Jesus has gone up to prepare a place. See, He promises us that in His Gospels. He says, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place. Moses was up working and so was Jesus. So where we are right now, I want you to answer that question for, for yourself. Where are you right now? Where we are right now, I believe, is that our society has turned their back on Jesus and they're looking for that gold to make that calf with. They're looking for somebody to give some earrings and pour them in so we can make a gold called everybody can go to heaven if you're just a good person. Or make a pathway if you'll just do the right things. Or there's several ways to get to heaven as long as you're nice. That's where we are. The second point I want to ask you is who's going to change that? You know, my friends, if there's ever been a change in society, if there's ever been any change anywhere in the world, there's always been an agent of that change. See, changes don't happen by themselves. You know, when there's a new coach that comes in, as I've uh, experienced the last few weeks, that there's changes that he wants to make, but he's got no shot at making those changes unless he embodies the changes that he wants to make. When a president, a new president is elected, he comes into office and he wants to make changes. He wants to make changes in the Congress. He wants to make changes in the House. He wants to make changes in all these different places. And my friends, if he doesn't embody that agent of change, then he's got no shot. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, I'm going to give you a second to get here. These are people who chose to be an agent of change. The first question I ask is, where are we now? My friends, we're in a dangerous spot. We're in a dangerous spot because I believe that we've turned our back as a country on Jesus. And if we want revival to happen, that means we want to live again as the church. Then we've got to start embodying the agent of change. Here in Acts chapter 2, we have some people who chose to do that. So I'm going to read this real quickly. Acts chapter 2, let's start at verse 44. All the believers, and I'm going to read that again because I was slow. I went to Newberry College. They just give degrees out as long as you color in the lines. Okay, you can laugh. All right. So I'm going to read that again. Okay, here we go. It says, all the believers, not, not some, not most, not the ones who felt like it, not the ones who didn't have anything else to do that day. All the believers, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods 
And they gave everyone to everything as they needed. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm going to read that last point because that gets me excited. I don't know where you are, but that gets me excited, that last part. He says this. He says, Luke, the author of this book, says this. He says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, my friends, guess what? Who's going to change this? My friends, it's Christians. That's who it is. Where are we? We're in a tough spot. But we need to have an agent of change. Who is that agent of change? That agent of change are the people who believe in the change. Those people are called Christians. And the center word of Christians is Christ. Those are the people that believe in Christ with all they have so much that they embody the agent of change. That they are the agent of change. You know, each Christian, the Bible says, has been marked with a seal, which is the Holy Spirit. Ching, ching. Deposit, guarantee, given each one of us the guarantee that we will have the Holy Spirit the rest of our life. And what are the fruits of that Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. My friends, you want to be an agent of change in your workplace? You want to be an agent of change in the choir? Yeah, it can really happen. You want to be an agent of change anywhere you go? You embody those things. You live out love. You live out joy. You let nobody steal your peace. And you just act faithful. And be perseverance. And do all the things that God has given you and granted you into your heart. And I promise without a shadow of a doubt, people will ask you, what is different about this guy? You know, I'm reminded of a story that I I memorized from a, a book of martyrs. About a, a guy who was a, called the barefoot evangelist. See, this young man, he was an agent of change. And I want to share this story with you because I think it will fire you up. He sold all he had went to Africa to be a missionary. And as he showed up on campus to be this missionary, he wanted to live right outside in a tent. So he has all his possessions in this tent. He walks into the town every day and shares the gospel with the different merchants in the town. He shares the gospel. He tells them about what Jesus has done for him. He tells them about how, why he came. And he tells them about all this stuff. And for ten years, nobody comes to know the Lord. And then he does it for another ten years, and nobody comes to the Lord. So he's praying in this hut. He's going, God, what in the world is going on? Please help me. And so he's seeking God's face, and he's saying, what is going on? God, I need your help. I need your, what, what, what's going on? So another ten years comes. Nobody comes to know the Lord. And so finally, 30 years come and 40 years come. And this guy's just been seeking everybody and giving his stuff out. Finally, he has nothing, no shoes. And he's walking back and forth to this town for 10 more years. After 50 years, he goes in and he's on his way back. And he says, God, I don't understand why you would do this to me. I've given everything I've had. I've laid on my face every night in prayer. I've given my shoes away and my feet are bleeding and i got to have help. So he goes to sleep that night after 50 years of evangelism with no response. And after 50 years of evangelism with no response, he wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning and the whole town has come around his camp. The whole town and the leader of the tribe is standing over him. And as the leader of the tribe stands over him, he looks down and he wakes up and he sees and he asks the leader of the tribe in his language says, Please tell me about this cause that you would walk to my town for for 50 years. He shares the gospel, the whole town gets saved. And why was that? It was because he was so convinced that his way was right. 
He was so convinced that he was called to be the agent of change. He was so convinced that what he was doing really was the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that it didn't matter the circumstances. So we believe like that God in the first part left us without a plan. God, he did not, guys. He left us and he said, go and make disciples of all nations. We asked that he left us without a purpose. No, he didn't. He left us with a purpose to honor and glorify Him in all we do. He he didn't leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit a comforter that would be with us in all times. But my friends, if we don't stand up and we don't say, I want to be that agent of change in my workplace. If we don't stand up and we say, I want to be that agent of change wherever I walk. In the car, driving, changing lanes. That's a tough one. If we don't decide that we really want to be an agent of change, no change will occur. Because the Buddhists definitely aren't going to convert people to Christianity. The Islams definitely aren't going to convert people to Christianity. The agent of change has to be attractive. The agent of change has to be something that people see and say, Man, I don't know about Steve. I don't know about all that jumping around and all that. But I know I want to be like him. I don't know about how he sings. I don't know about how the choir sings. But I know when he kisses his wife and when he walks and how he acts and how he talks, I want to be like that. And so, my friends, we become that agent of change. Who's going to change it? We are. And then the last question I have, this is my favorite part. How are we going to do it? You know, we're in a tough situation. Yeah, that's where we are. But we've got Christians who will stand up and do it. Well, how will those Christians do it? Well, my friends, I want you to get your pencil out and I want you to memorize a phrase a good friend told me. He said, we must have a reaction to Jesus that shows no concern for our reputation. Now, again, I went to Newberry, so I was a little slow, but I'm going to say that again. We must have a reaction to Jesus that shows no concern for our reputation. We must have a reaction to Jesus. That's Christ Jesus, the Lord. The one who died and said the grave couldn't hold him. We must have a reaction to Jesus that shows no concern for our reputation. I'm going to give you four examples. How many of y'all know about Brother Zacchaeus? Brother Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man. A wee little man was. Okay, alright, so we got it, right? We know about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man who had no concern for his reputation. Let's talk about Brother Zacchaeus for a little bit. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Luke chapter 19, if you get a chance. Jack, uh, he was a tax collector, and he hears that Jesus is coming into his town. Jesus is coming into his town, and so what does he do? Everybody knows the whole song when you're growing up. He climbs a tree, right? Zacchaeus climbs a tree. Now, I don't know, I don't know if this chair, will this chair hold me? I probably, boy, he would kill me if he knew I was doing this, wouldn't he? Alright. Alright. So Zacchaeus, okay, Zacchaeus climbs a tree. Now, this would be very similar, okay, to a grown man at a Christmas parade climbing a light pole to see Santa Claus. Okay? Everybody's laughing. That's silly, right? Zacchaeus climbs a sycamore tree and is looking down because this parade is coming in. And here comes... you going to catch me? Okay. All right. So, so this parade is coming down and he wants to see Jesus. He forsakes his reputation. He forsakes this good... He's probably in a suit. He's making good money. He's a tax collector. Okay? And he forsakes his reputation. And then his reaction to Jesus when he gets to his house is what? He says, oh man, Jesus, you're exactly right. His whole household gets saved. He says, I'm going to give back four times what I've, what I've taken from other people. I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. And he becomes a follower of Jesus. But his reaction to Jesus shows no concern for his reputation. And when you have that kind of reaction, my friends, it's contagious. People want to be like that. You know, they see Zacchaeus and they see him in the tree. And what in the world? 
limbs are falling, you know, and what in the, what's Zacchaeus? Man, you must have fell and bumped your head somewhere, Zacchaeus. What in the world? But he's just so eager. He wants to see this man named Jesus who says that he can do everything and it's the way, the truth, and the life. He wants to see it. How many trees have you climbed? How many times has Jesus come to your house? How many times have you forsaken your reputation, good or bad, because a man named Jesus is coming into your town? The second one is the woman at the well. I love this story. She's just going to get her some water. That's the greatest thing about the Bible, isn't it? Because he just tells common stories. I go get water all the time. I could use some right now. Anyway, but the point is, so there's this, there's this woman and she's getting water. And there she, she's having a conversation with the king of kings right there. They're just talking about life. Just, how you doing, Jesus? Doing okay? We didn't get the whole conversation, by the way. All right. So they're just talking back and forth. And Jesus says, go get your husband. He's good at that, boy. I tell you, he's good at that. He says, go get your husband. She says, well... You're right in saying you have no husband, he says. You've had five. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. Busted. <laughs> and so she says, she sits back and she's kind of nervous because he knows everything about her. And so then they go and they start talking about this stuff and the spirit and truth and they go back and forth. And then what happens? What happens then is that she has a reaction to Jesus that shows no concern for our reputation. My friends, she goes back into the town. The same town the disciples had gone back, and you know what they came back with? Some bread. They came back with some bread, and she goes into the town, and guess what she says? She exaggerates the truth. She says, hey, guys, and obviously the town knew her, right? She would have been with five men. Now, let's be honest, okay? All right, so the town knew who she was, okay? So she goes back into this town where her reputation is horrible, and she screams from the top of her lungs, come see this man who's told me everything I've ever done. Come see this man who's told me everything I've ever done. And so all these people say, what? He told you what? He knew all you did. Well, we better go. So they rise up and she brings the whole town back to meet with Jesus. And the disciples representing the church just brought some bread. See, my friends, we must have a reaction to Jesus that shows no concern for our reputation. Good or bad. She had a horrible reputation, a tough reputation, and she says, Guys, come on, come see this guy. You gotta come see him. I can see her begging people. You gotta come see him. Well, what about those four friends in the Gospel of Mark who have no names? And they decide that their reputations aren't important at all. And they go get their friend who's a paralytic. And they say, Hey, buddy, let's get you on our mat. They drop their jobs. They probably had appointments that day. Uh oh. They probably had something scheduled. They probably had something to do. They probably had a list of things they had to accomplish. But they told their secretaries to hold on. They told everybody to wait a minute because they've got a man named Jesus who can fix their friend's problems. So they stop everything they're doing. They go and they get a mat. And guys, you don't understand. You don't get to that man's house without carrying that guy through the town first. So they go and they put him on this mat and they carry him down there and they run into a, a house just slammed full of people. Can't get in. Well, you know me, I'm probably like, all right, appreciate you. Just let me know Jesus back in town. We'll get with you next time. No. They go to the roof. And then they begin to dig in a hole in somebody else's roof. 
and they begin to passionately dig through the hole of this guy's roof and they lower him down because they had a reaction to Jesus that showed no concern for their reputation at all. They were probably going to have to pay for that roof. They are probably going to have to talk about why they did it. But they didn't care. They had no concern for their reputation and they just had to do anything they could to get their friend to Jesus. My friends, how many people have you carried on a mat? Lowered through a roof and dropped at the feet of the only man who can do something about their sickness. My friend, let's look at our brother Peter. He's kind of like me. He's kind of energetic, energetic and all over the place. Starts off, he cuts the ear off, then he denies him three times. He's all over the place. But where does Peter end his life? My friends, he ends it with a reaction to Jesus. This shows no concern for his reputation. He gives the ultimate price. He says, you know what? I'm not worthy to die as my Savior died on the cross. Turn me upside down. And I'll die the other way. He had a reaction to Jesus that showed no concern for his reputation. You want to see revival? You want to see a church go crazy for Jesus? You want to see your school, the University of South Carolina, rise up and love Jesus more than we loved 2001? You want to see a city of Columbia with churches meeting together? We can't meet anymore. we got to meet in williams Bryce. We can't meet in here anymore. It's too full. We can't help any more people because they've already, their needs have already been met. We can't serve anybody else. We can't help anybody. We can't love Him anymore. We've memorized too much Scripture. You want to see that happen? My friends, we've got to know where we are. We're in dire straits. We're in dire straits in this place called America. But Christians, you have what it takes to change it. You have the Holy Spirit, a dove sent from God, straight to your heart. They took it from stone and made it into flesh and make you understand how alive that Bible really is. And that just might not be good enough. At the end of the day, you've got to have a reaction to Jesus that shows no concern for your reputation, good or bad. And sometimes it's harder to leave a good one than it is a bad one. If you're a bad one, the only way you got to go is up. But if you've got a good one, if you're a good, ta- if you're a good tax collector, or you're a good lawyer, or a doctor, are you willing to abandon that to get somebody to the feet of Jesus? What's your reaction then? In just a minute, like we always do, the choir's going to sing. I'm going to stand down here. And I just want to know what your reaction's been. All he does is knock at the door and stand his arms wide open and just wait for you and say, please, please come. I died for you. I just want you to have a reaction according to me that shows no concern for some earth you'll be on for 82 years. What will your reaction be? My prayer is that I'll have no concern for anybody in here or anywhere. On this whole earth. Revival means to live again. Let's live again. Let's pray. God, you're the greatest thing that's ever happened to any of us. And so what we need right now is we need to stop holding revival. And we need to let one go. 
And even a step better than that, we need to have one. <laughs> God, the founders of this country came over here with the ideas that better than anything else, they would get to worship freely a God who's brought them so far. And now that you've brought us so far, 2,000 years, we look up and say, you've been gone so long. And your answer from that is not that you've been gone so long. Your answer is, where did I go? I've been waiting for you. My prayer today is that we would have revival in this place. And it would start right here and it would spread like wildfire in a dry forest. God, you're the greatest thing that's ever even comprehended human's mind. You created us. Revive us today. I pray that there's somebody out there today that has a reaction they need to make to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, that shows no concern for their reputation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.